sanctioned locations, you know, like we, we're all out it now. So it's all about like transforming the art form and the cultural message and bringing it to a, a like a platform that like doesn't really understand it so they can understand it better. Welcome to Conversations. That's T H O Conversations, where the H makes all the difference. How the H are you? Really? I mean it. How you doing? We are living in the weirdest times right now. Um, welcome to 2020. What would you like? You want pandemic? Here you go. You want record job losses? Oh, we got that too. How about divisiveness? No problem. Black people demanding justice. Okay. What a year. You know, uh, and I was thinking, you know, there's something through all this and that there's kind of a through line through it. And this is uh, that I've noticed, and that is art. Art is everywhere. It's on protest signs. It's on your facial coverings. People are also taking down art, you know, taking down uh, certain um, Confederate monuments and different monuments of a time. But that is art. And um, so today, we're going to talk to Jason Clifton. He's a, a street and portrait artist and avid skateboarder as well, also uh, likes his geometry. And we have a very wide, wide-ranging conversation. Um, we talk about art, of course, Black Lives Matter, and we get into uh, talking about math and sacred geometry. So it's, it's interesting. Jason's a good guy, and he's also good at doing art. He must be because he's actually making a living at it. Um, you know, he's not living high in the hog, but he is uh, making a living doing artwork. And that is uh, such a such a difficult thing. And I really enjoy his work. And uh, I enjoyed uh, having a conversation with him. And I think you'll enjoy it too. So uh, sit back. Jason Clifton is on the show today. But if you're chilling at home, like you know, most of us are doing a lot of that these days, even during this summer months, you know, Maybe you're busting out the grill, you got your feet in the waiting pool, and you're going to grab a beer. Well, make it from the Moscow Brewing Company. And it's located right here in Moscow, Idaho, in the good old United States of America. And they're committed to creating the highest quality ales from ingredients found in the inland northwest. That means you're getting local, you're getting fresh, and you're getting quality. And, well, it all comes right to you in the form of a pint glass. So stop in today. Enjoy their selection of ales. They've got uh, stouts. They just put a new stout on, on, on tap. It's Steve Stout. Uh, guy comes in a lot, Steve. He always has the dark beers. It's now Steve Stout. So uh, grab one of those. And they've also got ales and everything in between. So check out Moscow Brewing Company on Facebook and at Moscow Brewing on Instagram. Good folks there. Tell Aaron I said hi, okay? Um, and uh, by the way, during this time, I have not asked for money from them. I'm doing this uh, gratis because uh, they've helped me out. Uh, through uh, the beginning of this whole uh, conversations thing, and they've just been great. And so, uh, while the pandemic is going on, and there's, you know, businesses really, you know, if you think about all the businesses that are having a hard time, uh, places where people gather are really having a difficult uh, go of it. So, help them out if you can, okay? All right. Um, so, how am I doing? You know, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm okay. Um, I am lucky enough that I'm working, um, and I'm in the news business, right? I'm the All Things Considered host at Northwest Public Broadcasting. And, um, man, the news is just difficult. 
So I actually am in a, a position where I can take two weeks of vacation time because, uh, quite honestly, I, I had to have it. I had to ha take some time off um, because it's just so difficult. Talking about the news and listening to the news every day, there's a lot of bad news and it really gets you down. I mean, it's and I can't avoid it. You know, it's not like most people, okay, I'm just not going to look at the news today or whatever and take a break from... Um, the news or whatever's going on. And, you know, it's just not possible with me. I have to be up on the news. I have to know what's going on and be aware. And that's fine. That's my job. I'm not complaining. It's just that the part of the job is that it can really weigh on you. And it was really weighing on me. So call it a mental health break. But I'm lucky enough to be able to have that and have a job. Um, I'm very grateful and very lucky to have that and to be um, essential worker. Remember that? Essential workers. I am one of them. And uh, and I essentially needed to take a break from it for a while. But uh, here we are. We're back with conversations and uh, talking to Jason Clifton. Let's get to it. Uh, here he is, Jason Clifton. Okay, this little thing says I'm recording. I don't know. And uh, so I, uh, I'm, I hope this is working. I have no idea if uh, it's actually working or not. But um, so let's let's do this thing. Uh, yeah, thank you by the way for doing this. Um, oh yeah, honored. Well, thank you. So um, would would you mind just introducing yourself? Is that something you, you could do readily or? Uh, just off the head bio, yeah. Sure, well, uh, if you want so, to. So, yeah, my name is Jason Clifton. Uh, I'm uh, originally from Southern California, like in between Bakersfield and Fresno in the San Joaquin Valley. Uh, I transplanted here the first time in 1988. Um, I'm on your show right now, I think, because of my artwork and like what I've been doing in Ellensburg. Uh, for like the last, uh, well, I mean, my whole life really being a graffiti artist, but transforming it into a, a viable, like way to sustain myself. You know, I'm like not getting rich or anything, but I'm literally sustaining myself on it right now, paying bills, and, you know. Uh, so I kind of like, I don't know, I just uh, brought that whole graffiti culture uh, into Ellensburg. And for a long time, it was really, really hard, but uh, I'm 40 now. I've been doing it a really long time, you know. Ah, uh, yeah. So, and I've met a lot of really great people along the way. Uh, doing the uh, first Friday art walks, uh, every single one for almost three years in Ellensburg. There's only like twelve or thirteen venues. So I've done them all like three or four times in a row. Yeah. Uh, so I got to know everybody really well. And uh, yeah, you know. And so, how did you get started? Like, uh, can I like describe your art? What what kind of art are you doing now? Because I mean, artists usually transition. They start off in doing something, and then now you're doing this uh, kind of a street art graffiti thing. And um... yeah, well, I mean, I've always been into graffiti and, and done graffiti in the in the sense of graffiti when you know the illegal time. But it did start off different. I want when I was a kid, I wanted to be a I wanted to be a comic book artist in the very beginning. So. That was super. That's a good goal. I, I like I like comics. So yeah. I love comic books. Yeah, I'm a super huge comic book nerd. But for the art, originally it was for the artists. Uh, I wouldn't even like. I mean, I'd read them and stuff, but mostly it was for the art. I like learned how to draw pencil draw by copying comic books, 
and just learning how to draw on my own. So I really wanted to do that for a long time and then, but I was, you know, in California being a skateboarder and just in that environment, graffiti's everywhere. That culture is everywhere, you know? Like everywhere you look, there's graffiti on everything. So uh, right away there was like a fatua an infatuation with like the idea that like, oh man, people, people do that. They get away with that. They write on things and they get yeah. away with it. You know what I mean? Because uh, it's it's a primal kind of thing. Like if you put a crayon in a kid's hand, you know, like they're not going to write on paper. They're fully going to write on the wall first. <laughs> it's like instinctual in some way, you know? So like it started like that. It started like like obsessing over graffiti at a super young age uh, and then getting a skateboard and like meeting graffiti writers at school and like just hanging and then you skateboarding and hanging out at skateboarding spots and around the streets and then tagging everything. That's how it all, that's how it all started, you know? And so did, uh, like, did you have a mentor or anybody who kind of said? Like, lots. Yeah. Lots. Yeah. I mean, that's how it works. I mean, like, yeah, you have lots of mentors. Like, uh, first of all, the streets themselves and everything you see is a mentor because you just see everything and you like walk up to a piece and you're like, Oh, that's, he held the can like that. Like that's how we did that. Or she did that. Uh, but mentors, yeah, totally in the beginning. Like, as soon as you start picking up a can, and like, your people around you immediately, and then all of a sudden you meet older kids, and da 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 da, you, you, back, you regress back into like the older generations of people that have been doing it their whole lives as well. So, like, right away, early on, like, I met people that have been writing graffiti like their whole lives, you know? And so I just realized, like, young, I saw young that that was like, there were adults doing that. There wasn't anybody, adults in my family doing that, but I saw adults doing it. So it was like immediately impressed on me. They're like, oh, this this kid, this is like a culture, this is a thing, you know, that you can grow up doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a different experience with graffiti than I think like a lot of people in Washington have, uh, even in Oregon, um, even possibly in Idaho, Montana, the states where it's like not as prevalent as it is in California. You know, like it's it's just everywhere there. Is it maybe because it's got more, um, you know, uh, more concrete jungle, as they say? Yeah, exactly. And just like, like, yeah, there's more concrete jungle. There's more wall space. There's more stuff. But like the culture that sprang it is there. You know, like after oh, after yeah. it left New York, you know, as as a graffiti graffiti culture, like the the train bombing that went on in New York in the '80s and the '90s, and then moving like and then it moved over to to LA and the whole underground there. Uh, that was that's that's like an epicenter. Uh, plus the Chicano movement that was going on there. Like there's like old school Chicano dudes that were writing with like like calligraphy style, like old English letters on places. You know, like before there were wild style that was coming out of New York with big bubble letters and, and 3d graffiti. Uh, there was, you know, uh, it was a Chicano movement, you know, uh, already. And I mean, graffiti goes way, way far back. Right. Oh, like, oh I mean, yeah. The Egyptians, the Egyptians wrote on everything. Yeah. They were kind of into that. Right. So I mean, the you, Romans right, are away, big on right it. away, the idea of writing on things is like embedded in the human psyche somehow, uh, all through history, you know? Uh, and then, and then the connection with the trains, in New York, you know, uh, comes from the old, old school people that used to ride trains and hop around in the twenties and thirties, right. And follow the train lines all over the place. And they would leave little marks and tags all over the place. So long before there was a graffiti movement like that, people have been writing graffiti in a way to communicate to each other. 
right? Like the shoeshine kids back in New York would leave a little mark next to the like spot on the block where they would shine shoes. And then other shoe shiners would know like, oh, we can't be here because oh, those homies are going to come through and make that money that belongs to them, you know? Uh, so writing on like writing on walls, is like a communication thing that's been going on for a long time. So anyway, I don't know. I always felt like that to bring it all back. Like that's like, it, it somehow was just in me to do it. I, it doesn't ever seem like I was not doing it to me, you know? Yeah. You know, I've never done that. It always seemed kind of wrong, but then <laughs> it, it, yeah. 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 But but that seems like that's the thrill of it, right? To go out there yeah, and kind of like a huge part of it. I, yeah, I shouldn't really. Side is real too. Yeah. <laughs> that that's that's amazing. Have you have you ever been to um, to Greece? Because I I this is my only reference because there is graffiti everywhere, and it comes from a culture of graffiti. Because you can yeah. go to the Parthenon and you see graffiti just carved into the stone. So yeah. it goes back. I haven't, I haven't been to Europe. I'm Croatian, right? So I'm, I'm trying to go to Croatia here later, later, maybe this year, but I haven't been there in a big way because gra- graffiti there never went through the phase of being illegal. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, people yeah, huh? in, in Europe, like saw what was going on in New York and LA or on the West coast and the East coast mm-hmm. and the movement that it was becoming, they saw what, what was going on and they were doing it, but they didn't have like the gang element. They didn't have the tagging element. They didn't have like the whole subculture of the criminality, the vandalism that, that came with graffiti in America first as it evolved, you know, had to go through all that first. Europe didn't have that. So at least as much. So it got accepted in a more public way faster. Right, there's more there's more public graffiti art uh, than there is in the United or there than there was in the United States, you know, for a while. It's getting more accepted now because of you know Banksy. Like we all have to give it up to Banksy from making street art. Like like he's a household name. He's the Tony Hawk of <laughs> of street art, right? Like and, and he's like a subculture okay. guy that everybody knows about, and and you know it, it, he's got a platform. Banksy did the same thing. He he put street art into the vernacular of people that are not you know that would never even really you know, consider it an art form really yeah and now it's worth so much money it's uh you know it can destroy it and it's probably worth more because it's, it's worth it. more yeah banksy's a phenomenon completely a phenomenon uh he still uh, hasn't been outed you know there's probably maybe only about 200 people on earth that know who he actually is as a person that's amazing yeah, right. They keep it secret though, because I mean, think about it. Like, if he, if if he was outed, he would be responsible for millions of dollars worth of of, of damage and vandalism. You know what I'm saying? Like, they would like the world would throw the book at him. Uh, so it's almost imperative that he remains anonymous. And you know, us as a culture will. If I knew who he was, I wouldn't give it up. You know, <laughs> at all. Yeah, you know that kind of that kind of reminds me of something. Is like you know. Um, um, when you do bold things, people come to in your in your aid, you know, open your parachute and or, or jump out of the plane. The parachute will will what is that open or I can't think of the phrase, but there's some kind of something like that. So when you do something big like that, I think that there would be people that would uh, kind of come to his uh, come to his defense. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'd all try if we got outed. You know, we'd all try for sure. But I mean, 
it's best that he probably stays anonymous, you know? Yeah. He's more of an enigma that way. If, if everybody saw that he was just like some, some bloke from Bristol, you know, some, <laughs> some white dude, you know, like it would like, I don't know. It would like, there'd, there'd be some mystique that got like, that like got lost somehow. I kind of liked that He's still anonymous. There's still one of us out there. That's not outed, you know, that's like not, <laughs> That hasn't had to like be like okay here I, okay let me I'm not gonna write illegally anymore you know like I don't really I mean I shouldn't really say this but I mean I still bomb trains you know I still go out and paint on trains you know but uh, that's part of like like I, I can't give that up you know <laughs> like yeah, but I don't yeah. do I try not to do it that much you know and it's it's uh it is is what it is but sanctioned locations you know like we we're all outed now so it's all about like transforming the art form and the cultural message and bringing it to a, a like a platform that like doesn't really understand it so they can understand it better. You know, like, I guess that's what, if I'm, if I'm going to put myself in a position of like what I've done, what I do as an artist and what I've done for Ellensburg in particular is that like, I transformed a, like a small town's like ID and attitude towards a complete culture. You know, like it's pretty, the art culture here is pretty predominantly white um, and being able to have shows at Gallery One with street art, being able to paint on the walls there and do graffiti. You uh, painted on the walls at Gallery One. I painted the walls at Gallery One. Okay, my, and, yeah, Gall for, and Gallery One is a it's a downtown art location. Probably there's there's a yeah. I shout out to Monica and Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Renee, it's, yep. they they bring in some uh, very uh, big names in in art throughout the Northwest to that location. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and uh, and Ellensburg yeah, is a small under, place too. You know, it's totally, like, totally. But I mean, isn't that where those messages need to go, though? I mean, like, for instance, uh, uh, Paul Rucker had a show in Seattle. Monica Miller, the director, went over and uh, and and asked him, "Hey, can you bring this show to uh, to Ellensburg?" And he was like, "Yeah," and he was like a big deal. You know, like that show was doing the national circuit, and it was the it was the clan outfits, right? Is the, oh, yeah. the, the African American gentleman uh, from South Carolina, I believe, uh, that made the Klan outfits, um, and having him come to town was good because it sparked controversy. That show in the city is like falling on deaf ears. You know, like everybody there knows what's going on when it comes to the issues that are happening right now. But Ellensburg is a place that like that needed to happen. You know, like that's that's the audience that needs to hear that message. Mm -hmm. um, and following in step with that, like bringing graffiti and bringing like that to gallery one also, and like kind of like exposing people to that is like, this isn't a bad thing, you know, like this, there's a culture behind this, there's a reason behind this, a history. It's very American. Uh, you know, like I've been able to change some minds here. They let me do gallery one. Uh, I've done the 420 gallery. Molly Edson let me do a full gallery show there. Uh, I, that wouldn't have happened when I first came here and it hasn't really been like that. Like most of the, my experience in Ellensburg, you know, but like over the last like 10 years, I've seen it change a lot and I've helped kind of pour some of that culture into what's been going on here, you know, like using my, like, I guess like I used to using my like white privilege to like bring uh, underprivileged culture into a, a under a light that's like that need, that it needs to be seen under. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so I guess if like as far as being an artist in Ellensburg, that's you know, that's what that's what I've been trying to do. And if I've accomplished any of that, then then that's good enough. You know, at the end of the day. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, it, something else that I was kind of thinking about with the with street art and stuff, and um, you know, there's the uh, the 
the uh, protests and uh, about uh, um, George Floyd um, and police brutality going on. And there's a lot, I'm seeing a lot of uh, graffiti art and a lot of street art out there. Mm-hmm. How has that, how is that affecting the message or what is the message that street art is bringing to what is currently going on, even pandemic wise? Have you been look, looking at well, this? I, I mean, like right away, I did, I, you know, I did a piece uh, on the back of the Gerald's wall, just a giant, like, RIP, Big Floyd, you know. Uh, I saw that, like, some of the Black Lives Matter movement had put together uh, an image of Floyd's face with, uh, I can't breathe on it. Uh, I edited that, snatched it, blew it up really big, and uh, brought that here, you know. I started putting that up. Um the street art movement, I mean, it's just here to be another voice for what's already going on. You're going to see graffiti related to the Black Lives Matter movement and, and uh, everything that's been going on. Uh, it's going to pertain to that movement right now. You know, like street art doesn't really have anything particular to say as street artists in this. Hmm. But it's like our platform to just like illustrate what everybody's saying and feeling right now. You know, a lot of hashtags, a lot of Floyd, a lot of I can't breathe, a lot of, you know, just like catchphrases right now. That's what graffiti is. It's little, like little, they're little words and phrases that are there to like spark the idea, you know, to keep, like, just to let everybody know that like there's somebody out there thinking this way. Uh, so I'm not so sure that we have a message as three artists just to like listen, right? Like listen to what is going on and like what really needs to be focused on and help them say that you know so not with a message but more of a messenger yeah totally i mean we're we're just part of the culture we're part of hip-hop you know like we're we're like the visual side of the language that comes along with that culture you know uh it's our job to listen to everybody and make sure that we're kind of like speaking with a unified voice you know does that make sense (laughs) like as far as like mcs rappers talking about things uh, graffiti writers talking about things, DJ spinning that together, uh, the B-Boys dancing to it. That's a culture, you know? Uh, and in order for that to be a unified culture, we all got to be on the same page. So a lot of street artists aren't going to go out and say anything like anti what's what the core message is in the movement right now. Hmm. Our message is their message. We're just here to amplify it, you know? And, you know, and, you know, that's like, that's our, like, that's what we do as like, as an ally, you know, like, it's like, that's what we do as that with allyship is like, take that, whatever, whatever messages, whatever messages behind it, like the, that hip hop is saying right now, or that everybody's saying right now, uh, it's just our platform to just try to illustrate that. Cause I don't have, I mean, I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to add. You know what I'm saying? Like, all I know is that like the big issue right now is that like, this thing is a white problem. Uh, if white people don't change, then it's not going to change. You know what I'm saying? Like every black person in America can write until they're blue. It, I mean, hopefully like legislation will change and things will change, but I feel like nothing's going to change until like all, all the white population really kind of get on board with it and like realize what's going on and make the change, you know, take steps individually and as a whole. Cause I mean, I don't really have anything to say about it. Like it's not like, you know, <laughs> Do you think that's happening? Do you think that uh, the white culture, as such as it is, is um, is trying to is grasping that? 
they well, need to change or accept that there has been uh, that there is a a, a privilege and uh, yeah or you know what just being white and what that means yeah it's just it's yeah because that's the that's the thing that's the wall that everybody's coming up against is that like like it's it's all white people have to like realize like the the situation you know what i'm saying like there's a there's a definite situation occurring right now and it has been occurring uh we're living inside of a colonial box you know slaves came in they got let free but they are still inside of the colonial box uh the police were there uh as clanmen in the beginning and now they're police like it's it's not a big surprise that we see what we're seeing right now it's been coming down the pike for a long time you know like we're just seeing an explosion of like a revolutionary explosion right now of issues that have been boiling under the surface for so long you know well and Uh, on top of the surface yeah on on top of the surface as well on top of the surface yes blatantly apparent um but but like yeah yeah. i mean black folks just have this natural ability to be able to like take have been taking that for so long and it's like it's like i'm surprised this hasn't happened already i mean I mean, like, so here's this Black Lives Matter poster that I made for the protest, like, just like last week. I was using the same stencils that I was using back in 2016. I'm making, like, Black Lives Matter protest stencils and, and signs to go to Seattle with since the beginning. I was like, I can't believe this is still happening. Then I thought it was going to happen, but it's not. So, I mean, it. I can only do what I'm going to do, and I can only try to be a voice for, like, how I'm going to, how I change, you know, and it's like observing myself. Uh, and my part that I can play. Uh, but everybody needs to take that responsibility on themselves. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's really up to everybody else and how long that takes or how it all happens. I mean, it's all still left to be seen. Uh, you know, it could be slow. It could be fast. It seems like a lot of things have happened in this last couple of weeks. It's pretty crazy. Um, but, I, but is it all going to just like blow over again? Is this going to be, is this going to happen right. two years again, again from now again? You know, like, I mean, I don't know, you know, all I can do is try to change myself in it, you know, like, and, and play and, and, and listen and, and play my part. Uh, but I feel like, I feel like a big part of like what white people have to do right now is listen, just like listen and watch what's going on. And like, really just like, like meditate on it, man. Go eat some mushrooms in the, in the mountains for a couple of days and, <laughs> and think about it, you know, like really ponder it. And let it soak in and just be like, man, I should just like, you know, take it a little more seriously. You know, people dying isn't a joke, man. The cops killing people isn't a joke at all. It's unfortunate that it's, we're so numbed, you know, by it. Just super unfortunate. Um, and here's a subject that, you know, and um, because oh, I, let's see, how do we meet? We, I met you when I did uh a uh, we did a trivia thing with Northwest Public Broadcasting. Yeah, at the Iron Horse Brewery right. in Ellensburg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And yeah, um, I've been listening to you for a long time before that. You're Tom Concade from the Big Red, the Big Red Chair. <laughs> every day, I'm sitting in a red chair too. By the way, I got of course, of course you are. Of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so we kind of we met each other there and kind of. Uh, just kind of hung out a little bit. We went to the Tav and had a couple of beers. Um, That's just right, right, yeah. And um, and then we became friends on Facebook, and so we've been kind of you know following each other that way. 
Yep. And yeah. something that you just had posted that really got me to like, I need to talk to you about this was that you were accused of cultural appropriation, mm. right? With uh, black mm-hmm. culture. Um, and well, in hip hop, yeah. And yeah. I, and I, I don't really know what that means. So maybe if you could, if you want to talk about it, if you don't, that's fine. But it's pretty fresh. So I won't like, I won't mention any names or anything like that or anything that's going on really. Uh, but the, the issue really uh, was some paintings that I made uh, for this place called the Red Pickle in Ellensburg. Um, and the owner of the place is, uh, is uh, gu- from Guatemala. Uh, he's a Guatemalan uh, uh, immigrant. Um, he asked me to do some paintings that were super colorful of these, like, of these native females. Uh, we chose these images that like kind of like had some different ethnicities with, with like uh, of ladies with uh, like native headdresses. He wanted bright colors. He wanted like powerful women. He wanted to be diverse. Uh, so we like messed around with some images. He decided to go with those. I painted them. Uh, they like, I don't know, like this, it's really just one, one person uh, just was feeling like, offended by it uh so and they thought that because like i'm white that i really don't have any right to make art that has to do with i guess with with that specific imagery Mm -hmm. um and the idea that i'm white and i make like i make portraits of hip-hop artists because i'm a portrait artist i'm in i do hip-hop uh, I make portraits for people that like commission me. Uh, so most of the paintings that I do are actually commit. People ask me to paint them. Uh, but because I'm white and because I make money on, uh, in hip hop, I'm yeah. Like they basically just like accuse me of just like appropriating black images and, and making a living at it. And so, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's like a, it's like a personal opinion thing. Like I know, I know that I'm not appropriating anything. Like there's nothing that I do. that's any different than any other graffiti artist or any other street artist or any other portrait artist myself. But there are going to be people in the culture that like, uh, are going to, are going to view me as, uh, as a vulture, as somebody that is like a guest and a guest in a culture. Um, that is also uh, making money with it, you know? Uh, so there's always gonna be pure, there's always gonna be Puritan ideas that like, that like are gonna seem like uh, that may be the case. Um, it's not, you know, like uh, there's, I don't do anything differently than any other street artist. Uh, plus I've been in hip hop my entire life, you know, like this is like, this is what I do, this is who I am, this is what I always am gonna be. I'm 40 years old. Uh, if somebody would have like was gonna be like upset about anything that I've done, it would have happened already, you know. So I'm not so sure that this is gonna go much further than like Facebook posts or whatever. Yeah. Oh. Does that- but cultural appropriation is a serious issue, you know. Like there are a lot of people that do appropriate like in super negative ways. Uh, I just don't fall in that category, you know. Hmm. So- <laughs> it's probably a new like realm 
for you, right? It's actually pretty new for me. Like I haven't ever been accused of that ever besides until like that just that just happened like a couple of days ago, right before I went camping. Yeah, and it's I um yeah, because I'm trying to I didn't I didn't really look it up like what is cultural appropriation, but it's basically taking someone's culture, using it for your own gains, but yeah. doing it in kind of a a malicious way like right? a nefarious way yeah, yeah yeah and there's nothing nefarious about me you know what i'm saying like i mean as a white person believe me i know i'm white <laughs> and in hip-hop yeah. like it, like hip-hop is a black culture you know what i'm saying like i've been the only white dude in a room full of 30 black dudes you know what i'm saying like so in order yeah. for me to be in that room and to like to to be an mc to rap you know mm-hmm. i have to be but like way better you know what i'm saying i have to be i just try way way harder and be way better than like anybody else would have to be because i'm in that room to get acceptance in hip-hop comes from skill dedication like understanding knowledge you know and being able to represent yourself in time and place um anybody can do that and if you got skill to do that then that's what's up you know like that that's what hip-hop is being able to like present yourself right here right now this is who i am uh you know uh and and that's like that's oh i've always done that and i've always got respect in hip-hop uh for that so i've never felt like i've appropriated anything because i've i've like had the door open for me like you you can come in like we got you like you get this you get what's going on here you understand so we got you, you can come in, you know what I'm saying? Like, but always knowing that like, yo, I'm white. Like I'm so blessed and so glad to be here, to be able to have hip hop, to be able to have that access to that culture and to be uh, embraced with open arms uh, is like, I could, I, that's why I try to give so much back to it. It's given me everything, you know? Uh, and that's our, that's what we have to do in hip hop is just kind of continuously give back to it. Uh, otherwise, you know, we're selling it out and we're really selling ourselves out that way. And, you know, let's, there's a good transition because you're talking about hip hop, but you're all, are, are you in a band? I know you, you've recorded. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm an MC. I've been in several groups. Yeah. I mean, like, I first, like, yeah, the first time I appeared on a hip hop record was like uh, 2001, maybe on a Log Hog Press the Letters record. <laughs> Log right? Hog. You remember Log Hog, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. That was like kind of a, a local, I don't know if, were they hip hop? I, they, they yeah. were, interesting oh, yeah. Group. They were like, I mean, because they were like, well, there was, a, there was a black dude in there, a couple, a couple of black guys. Uh, shout out to Crow. Uh, and they're white, but I mean, hip, like, man, Ellensburg in, in the 80s and the 90s, bro, trying to do a hip hop show here. It was crazy, you know, so we had to kind of like just be our own hip hop thing. Uh, and that's what Log Hog was, was like the, the only hip hop group here. Uh, I came later after I came back from California in high school uh, and started rapping with those guys. But yeah, so Log Hog, uh, Project Cohabitate, uh, some, another project called The Animist uh, in 2005 and 2006. Uh, right now I'm working with DJ Eddie Slick, uh, and we have a, a project called High Stakes. Uh, my band Skyler, we rhyme, yeah, we rhyme. I mean, like that's what we've been doing. That's what I've been doing my whole entire life. Hip hop, you know, like I like to write. I like to write on walls and write raps, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> cool. Nice. Yeah. 
That's pretty cool. You know, I've got this, I, I like to say that, um, um, that I think that art is, um, you have to be really, uh, it's a brave thing to do art. I think it takes a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of fortitude. You can't have to get up every day and you have to look at that blank canvas, whatever that is, and you have to be inspired to create something. How do you do that, uh, you know, and continue to do that? Um, I'm poor, bro. <laughs> uh, like, it's, it's how I, I don't know, I just have to, you know? There's no lack of imagery there's no lack of like what's going on there's no lack of people and expression uh to continuously draw from um but i i don't know i just have drive i just am driving i'm just gonna keep doing this until i i can't do it anymore you know uh i could do it for the rest of my life and continue to give back to art and hip-hop and like never give back what i got from it uh so like that's the give back. The give say. back is part of my motivation. Is that like, I'm I gotta give back. You know. I mean, that's I gotta give back. <laughs> you know, it's given me everything. So I mean, that's part of my motivation. Uh, and that the I I guess it's cool because like hip hop's the same age as I am. We're both about forty years old, and I've got to grow up with it and in in the culture. Uh, and right now it's like the biggest and best that it has ever been. And it's great to see that, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's great to see that. Uh, I want to keep going. I like being like an OG in it, you know, like uh, I've, been yeah. here for the, I've been here for the duration and I'm going to be here for the duration. Uh, so playing, like playing my role in it and being part of it, uh is my motivation every day getting up and like seeing what's happening next and what's going on and being like oh that was tight uh oh how can i add to that or you know it's like skateboarding you one up each other everybody's trying to like compete with each other because everything's brand new every day um skateboarding is crazy like somebody will do a trick and you will all see it on instagram we'll go over the and it's never been done before but two or three days later there's another trick that's like that trick but a little bit better one mm. more flip, one more rotation, a little bit longer grind, something, you know? So, like, it's, like, a competitive edge with everybody, and we're all pushing each other to, like, be a little bit doper, be a little bit better, be, pro like, always progressing, always in that flow of the rise and grind, you know? Uh, I mean, yeah, that's what keeps me motivated, you know? But there's always somebody out there grinding, too. There's always somebody out there grinding. So since the second you stop, people are just going to keep progressing and getting way better. And all of a sudden, if you take a little lag, oh man, you got some catch up to do, you know, uh, that part keeps us motivated. Just being, staying with the current, uh, staying on point, you know, that's my motivation, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, cause you know, I, mine is my, my form of art is a bit different. I, you know, I, I am a communicator and I'm a verbal processor. So I get up and I talk to people and I can, you know, that's, and when I have someone to communicate with it, it, it's, it's fairly easy for me to do that. But you know, when you're every day, you're looking to try to be inspired to try to create something new uh, using uh, a certain medium. Um, that's uh, that's inspiring. 
Yeah. <laughs> good good, good yeah. answer. Good answer. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. You know, like I, I, I appreciate it. Um, it's not easy being, you know, like it's not an easy lifestyle being an artist uh, no, and taking it seriously. Yeah. It's hard to get taken seriously in a lot, you know, a lot of ways. You, like introduce yourself and like, oh yeah, well I'm an artist, you know, like oh. And then, and then when you say you're a street artist or you use graffiti, I mean, that, that already in a lot of people's minds are like, eh, yeah, well. So I say well, that. I, so that's, that's the next one I say that. I'm like, oh, what kind of art do you make? And I'm like, oh, well, I make street art. And they go, Banksy? Oh. And then I have to backtrack and be like, yeah, we don't all do exactly that. But yes, like Banksy. Yes. You know, like, uh, so, you know, just like skateboarding was, oh, you're a skateboarder. Oh, do you know who Tony Hawk is? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so thank. So that's why in the yeah before I was like, yo, like thank, thank Banksy, man. Like thank Banksy for like get, making, uh, making street art a household phrase, a household name, you know. And there's some amazing street art throughout the world. Just like yeah, what they're yeah. doing on buildings, it's just it blows my mind. Like there's a, yeah, it's taken pretty seriously in a lot of places in Europe. I think the tallest building uh, in the world that has graffiti on it, I think, is some is maybe in Germany, somewhere over there. Uh, it's crazy. It's a giant building. I don't even know. It's like ten or twelve stories or something. But one full side of it is just muraled all the way up. You know, just fantastic. Wow. Like just so it's so colorful and beautiful. Uh, I mean, if I had my way, that's the way we. That's the way the world would always look. Yeah. You know? it's like everything should be painted on. You know. Uh, we see enough like McDonald's billboard signs and big billboard signs that like tell like, like body shame people, you know, that are super toxic, uh, you know, bombarding us all the time, you know, it'd be nice to be able to combat that with a little bit of beautiful walls and mirroring, you know. Hmm. Have you, have you had, had a commission to do a side of a building or anything like that? Um, I did, uh, in 2016, I did the inside of Ma uh, Maximus gym in Ellensburg. It's a, like a big upstairs gym downtown. Um, then I did uh, club 301. I did a mural in the back of there, like Washington legends, kind of like Cortez Kennedy and Jimi Hendrix and those guys. Uh, God, I was just about to do, I just, Ellensburg has a, uh, uh, art grant they give away for public art every year and I, I applied for it and got it last year and my plan was to paint a giant mural on uh, at the skate park in Ellensburg but then the city's got plans to move it now so they kind of put my project on hold they're like ah, we might tear that skate park down here so we shouldn't give you money to paint on a wall we're going to tear it down soon so I'm kind of trying to redistribute that money to another project here in town uh, somewhere downtown so yeah I plan on doing a really big mural somewhere downtown Ellensburg within the next year. Um, and I'm curating a show, a street art show, a Washington, a full Washington artist street art show at gallery one next summer, summer 2021. So those are like the two big things that I'm kind of working on for Ellensburg. That's pretty cool. It is really cool. Yeah. Uh, I just asked Monica, you know, like, uh, what's the possibility of, of curating a show in like two years. I asked her like almost a year ago. Uh -huh. And I was like, like two, I don't know, two years from now or something. She's like, yeah, sure. So I just kept like on her and she like, she, it came together. Like I got some really rad artists. Um, and you know, like that's how it works. I just kind of like talk, communicate to them. And then 
then get them to connect to the gallery. Then the gallery, you know, talks to them. Uh, a pretty cool uh, group of people. Uh, we'll see if COVID allows us to happen, you know, allows it to go down a year from now if we're still on, you know, no galleries or whatever. I don't know what's going on with that. That, that all kind of disappeared with the, the revolution. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, weird just living in the weirdest times, man. Yeah. <laughs> weird. Such a I mean, it's not funny, but it's like almost like you you laugh at like 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 Tragedy, hysterically, yeah. like it's kind of hysterical. Like, oh my god, this is like a hysteria. Like, what is fucking happening right now, man? You know, now that th- you know, I've I've talked about this now. Now that I think about it, think about it, talking with you about it, but I've had this thought for a while that I don't think that we would be seeing quite the outpour for Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, etc., if it weren't for the pandemic, where so many people aren't going to work every day. It was a contributing factor, I'm sure, man, having everybody sitting at home watching that clip over and over and over and over again, man. Like, it's, I mean, it's so you're right. You're, you're 100% right. I think it had a huge impact on it. So tough to watch. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, especially after like the millionth time, you know, like it's not like this is new, you know, I mean, uh, I remember, I mean, I was 13 when it happened, but I was living in California and like when, when, uh, the Rodney King happened and the oh, first God. time anybody had even seen police beat somebody up on television was on accident from, you know, some guy had happened to have a, a camcorder back in the, you know, when those yeah. happened. Yeah. Uh, and here he is zooming in like, Hey honey, look, the zoom works really. What, what's that? You know, and like do that thing. I mean, that was 1993, man. You know, like, and anybody that lives in California sees, you know, knows already, knows any, have any interaction with the cops. You know, that's how it always goes down. Um, But as far as a nation goes, like, geez, from 93 to now, like, we haven't seen enough already. Like, this, that's crazy, you know? 27 years, right? No, no. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, come on, man. Like seven years ago. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, I mean, just to date us, I mean, (laughs) you know, real quick, you know, uh, I was 13, but I, I vividly remember that, you know, like, and I vividly remember LA promptly burning down when they let all those cops go, you know? So, I mean, none of that's, none of that is new. None of what we're seeing is new at all. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. I hope I my hope is that that we we do see a radical shift in attitude, a radical shift in in like people's like a, a real unifying attitude emerge out of this, you know, like not more divisiveness in a time when we need to be coming together and really unify, like not more of that, like everybody's just got to take accountability, I guess, you know, like we got to come to this point. We all unify on the idea that really it all is on everybody's shoulders to like really take this to heart and do it. And, and hopefully I would like to see that idea emerge, you know, like actually the idea where we all need to really take upon ourselves to really change this thing, uh, to make it better for everybody. You know, let's hope. I mean, that's like, that'd be my hope, you know, but the reality of things, I mean, I don't know, you know, reality is crazy. You can go that way. It just takes a lot of people working together, you know, and I guess we're just, we're seeing such divisiveness right now. Maybe that's what, maybe that's how it has to happen. Maybe things have to crumble apart, you know, uh, 
before it gets put back together a different way. Like the butterfly is vastly different than the caterpillar, right? Wow. You know, once things vastly different and they're the same thing, but just that one bit of change, the whole thing is vastly different at the other side. So maybe we're in the middle of one of those cocooning changes right now, you know, we're like, the outcome is just vastly, we don't even know. It could be right around the corner from a, a, a big, a big step forward, you know, but we have to keep going to get to the other side. Right. And, you know, um, and during these crazy times too, it's like, um, I've been seeing a lot of messaging about, um, you know, from the, the worst parts of things that happen are the greatest parts that come afterwards. Um, like your, your, your lowest low, is is just the beginning to get to your highest high um that's you know that's kind of my hope as well because we're at yeah well pretty low point yeah i mean yeah it it, yeah man i don't know i guess it seems that way i i like to think that like uh everything's perfect otherwise it wouldn't be happening even i mean and and this is all part of a bigger a, a bigger perfection that we're all kind of moving towards getting better uh maybe this is what has to happen for us to get better you know uh we once we're faced with extinction as a whole maybe then we'll evolve you know (laughs) there's like a mechanism you know like there's this crazy experiment uh where if you put like lactose intolerant cells in a petri dish and uh pour milk on them like they they can't process them individually but as a whole unit, they decide to mutate and change into a lactose-like tolerant cell so they can adapt to the environment. Once they're faced with extinction, they make that change as a whole. Um, it's in our biology to do that. Um, these critical points could be those moments, you know, where we actually kind of as a whole, like, we're like, wow, man, if we don't really change, we're all going to die. We're all, we're all going to fail. Uh, so it forces change, you know, perhaps, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not Nostradamus. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, like I'm just going to keep grinding and doing, doing what I do and making sure I'm listening to what's going on around me and just do my part to be cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Doing your part to be cool. I like that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm writing that down. Do your part to be cool. <laughs> Write it down. Take a picture. It's cool. <laughs> to be cool. Got to write that down. Um, okay. That's great. So, you know, I was watching, I saw, oh, trying to do a little bit of research on you. And um, there's a video of you um, in front of a, a painting that you had done, some bit of artwork where that's a, use a black light to see a lot of it. It was created a while ago. But in that, you said you called yourself a geometer. Oh, yeah. What is a geometer? Well, a geometer is someone who practices geometry, right? Like, just simple definition. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm a super big, like, proponent of sacred geometry. And, like, it's, it's – uh, and just what it is, the, the secret, the ancient secret knowledge of, like, the way nature works and the mathematics behind nature. And what, what is that? Why don't – well, I mean, I mean, so sacred geometry is, uh, oh man, this is a, this is a whole can of worms here. Uh, is sacred it? Ge- okay. here, well, let me show you here. I'll just show you real quick. You've probably seen things. You've probably seen things like the star, the star, the star of David, right? 
Okay. Yeah. So we're looking at a um, like circles, and then well, you yep. get, uh, a bunch of circles. But then outside of that is uh, what is that? A uh, octagon. Well, the point of it is that the circles like dictate like what's going on. So there's one circle, and then you half it and put the center of the next circle on that one, and you keep going and keep going oh, until yeah, yeah. until geometric shapes emerge. So you realize that, like out of out of the circularness of nature like then is how we get geometry it's where like the platonic solids come from right how we have shapes in the first place like what a an octahedron is a dodecahedron the isosahedron the hexahedron like tetrahedron right like the platonic solids are the are the, the shapes that make up all of reality the shapes that shape atoms and atomic structures uh right uh it's phys it's the what it's what the invisible skeleton looks like right of reality the thing that holds it all up why why things are shaped the way they are why trees are shaped the way they are fract the fractal nature of reality has to do with the math and the geometry that like nature is like the universe is made of like what things are made of uh so i went deep down that rabbit hole for like 10 years and uh yeah out of the end of it, it was definitely a geometer for sure like i did a lot of artwork that was based on it i tried to just like show it to people you know it's it's an it's ancient this it's from time before the egyptians like the egyptians got taught this by whoever was here before us um and so once i learned it uh it became like my lens for seeing reality through right like i started to see like oh that's why trees are shaped that way oh that's how the clouds are structured uh you know that's yeah so that's what that is and so i did a lot of weird like black light art with it i would like uh paint geometry with fluorescent paints and put them under black light so they glow i did that for a while with a guy named roy fussfield yeah roy yeah roy fussfield yeah we did that for about we did that for about three years what's that Uh, he was there when i was he was in ellensburg when i was living there yeah oh yeah oh back in your albertson's days back in my albertson's days nice nice (laughs) yeah and so what now does that does are you that geometry does that still affect the art that you do now or not well i use it i use it compositionally now i mean yeah i mean i still it's i mean i said it's embedded in me now i can't i can't not know it now <laughs> uh, you know it's yeah. everything that i see so yeah uh and really it just kind of influences my philosophy like on life you know more so than it does my art anymore um, I mean, I still, I, I use some sacred proportions when I, when I lay out, oops. Oh, he's still there. Oh, I yeah. blocked out there. Mm-hmm. My battery's going dead. Uh-oh. Um, I still use golden math a little bit to lay out proportions when I'm like arranging compositionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, I don't make a lot of art based on sacred geometry anymore. Uh, because I got tired of people's eyes like rolling back in their head when I started to talk about it. <laughs> you know, like it gets deep. I get all deep about it, you know, then I got, you know, I got my, you know, what's going on Egypt and I'm super into Egypt and the ancient people. And, and really it's just, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about who we are as people on this planet, like where we came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're far older. There's far more to the story than we've been told. Uh, and so I've always been kind of on a quest to like figure that out. And through that quest, I discovered sacred geometry through Egypt and, and study of like ancient civilizations and megalithic builders and the, the henge builders and, you know, the Denisovan people and Neanderthals and our whole lineage as it goes back, you know, uh, 
there's more to it than than just uh it all started in sumer <laughs> way more that's yeah. just the last that's just the last the beginning of the last chapter actually we got a long history uh as a human species on this planet right so anyway that's a big part of my core fueling is like why i want to be who i am i'd like to know exactly who we are as people and try to bring that like to people you know there's far more going on than we're all being told the history of the human species is far far longer uh you know and uh yeah there's more there's just more to it We can talk. We do a whole podcast about that, just uh, on that geometry and yeah. the origins of man, and like my whole like what I, what I know about that. <laughs> okay, so um, w- when you're using about this sacred geometry and and art, but that when you're using your, how is it like? Um, so you say you use it compositionally. How is that when you're doing like street art, something that with a spray can that kind of flows or do you use it also when you're doing uh portraiture portraiture yeah yeah portraits and and the overall i mean the overall composition of a piece you know like how it's how it's shaped uh upper upper corners you know like lower corners how it all fits together like uh the arrangement of the letters all the same uh just the over the overall uh kind of has to have a real pleasantness to the eye and the 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 idea of something being pleasant to the eye comes from the golden math it comes from using math that has to do with the geometry of nature itself that's why it's pleasant to the eye because you're using the ratios that nature's made with the golden ratio you know uh we're all it's it's everywhere in nature so when you can translate that to a piece by shapes and proportions or, or colors or whatever the composition uh and you can get that to transpose to the eye then it seems pleasing that's that's how i use it you know like it it's i really kind of use it in every stroke and then in the overall with my eye like when i'm when i'm looking at it, i'm like does my eye is my eye pleased at this like does it like it mm-hmm. um and how i judge what my eye is pleased by has to do with the golden section and and golden math or sacred math and sacred sacred section you know sacred is like a weird word to use for it it was really secret secret geometry in Greek and Egypt, you know, it came from the mystery schools, why it's called sacred, because it was only taught in the mystery schools of Egypt. And then Pythagoras came to Egypt and stayed there for 21 years and learned in the mystery schools and then brought it back to Greece and created the Pythagorean society based on the golden section and the golden math that he learned in Egypt, right? Uh, so that's how, it's, how, it's how they use it. I just use it in my, how I visualize life and how I visualize my art. Wow. <laughs> what an interesting combo, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it was crazy because I was kind of into this, but so what happened was like, have you, are you familiar with a Tibetan prayer bowl at all? Yeah. Uh-huh. You see yeah, those like the bowl yeah, with the stick and you ring it and it, you, you know, rub it around. Okay, the bowl so and it rings I got, and... I got one of those from a, from a buddy. I'm super into it. And then I went to Eugene, Oregon and there's a Tibetan bowl shop there by then. It's like a it Tibetan like, guy. <laughs> really? Yeah, imagine that, right? So I'm in this Tibetan bowl shop, and I'm ringing some of the bells. And this guy that owns the place, he's like a Tibetan monk, you know. He's got the full on like long mustache and the whole the whole deal, right? He's fully on. He's full on legit. Um, But I'm ringing the bells, 
And I noticed him kind of checking me out, like, you know, and he's like, oh, you like the bells. And he's like, uh, well, come check this out. And he goes through this, you know, beaded door, little, you know, the beads are hanging. And we kind of walk through there and he flicks a little light switch and a little light comes out. And he's got a big bowl in the middle of the floor. It's like three foot diameter, maybe like two and a half feet tall, right? It's a big Tibetan bowl and it's half full of water, right? And he turns the light on. And so you got the light reflecting on the surface of the water in it. And he hands me this staff and he goes, ring this one. And I'm like, oh, I, okay. So I'm, I grab the staff and I'm like ringing it. Right. And in order to, in order to ring it, you got to like really get it humming. And yeah, for a while, there's, there's, a, there's a, there's a certain tempo and a certain pressure. It just, uh, right, you just can't right. move so you it around. Pressure always yeah. to keep it going into a yeah, rhythm. Yeah. And uh, so the little water droplets are kind of dropping onto it. And I see the surface of the water is getting reflected by the light. Right. And it's just a mess down there. And then at a point, I get that thing to hum and it reaches like it's resonant harmonic frequency for that bowl, you know, and instead of there being circular droplets in the water, it turned into a star tetrahedron. The lines went straight in the surface of the water and the points touched the, the edges of the circle and it started to spin and it went flat. There were no more like round lines in the water anymore. They Whoa. literally went flat and Whoa. they became a perfect star of David. And then that's like, I was 23 and I was like, oh, the star of David has nothing to do with like religious symbols. This has to do with like a very fundamental way that the universe works, the way that nature works. Right. Mm -hmm. So inside of a sphere, when it vibrates, the internal pressure of the vibration causes a three dimensional star tetrahedron to emerge. It's the opposite of a circle or opposite of a sphere is a star tetrahedron inside of it, right? That's what keeps it strong. Hmm. That's what happens in nature. Like, I visually saw it, and I was just, like, mind-blown. Like, <laughs> oh, okay, now I see what you Jewish dudes are up to. you got all this, like, geometry woven into your, into your religion that, like, doesn't really have to do with, like, language or symbolism. It has to do with concepts that are dealing with, like, fundamental principles in, in the nature of, of physics and reality. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's on some deeper, deep level stuff, like on some real deep level stuff, not just like religious dogma or philosophy, you know, just ideas. It's on some like, this is how things work. And that's what like locked me into it. I was like, I have to know about this because this, (laughs) nobody's going to tell me that this isn't real. I just saw that. And then the connection is like, they've been using it as the star of David, the house of David for however many thousands of years, you know? Uh, but there's a reason that that symbol is so powerful and that it exists to this day as the how you know the symbol of, of Ju- Judaism. Uh, it's because it's a very fundamental principle to the nature of reality, and they know that. You know, that's what I wanted to know. That's what drug me into 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 sacred geometry was like that experience, and then going down that rabbit hole, and then I went straight there, straight to Egypt, straight to like whoa, there's a hidden history and the, all that. And you look at how the pyramid, how the pyramids were built, and yeah, we still don't know that, man. Like anybody that tells you they know how the pyramids were built is a liar. We do not know at all how that was done at all. We got some. There's people got ideas, but I don't, I don't think we're even close to understanding how how they did that. I'm, thinking, I'm, not, I'm not thinking like exactly how they built, but more like. Uh, the uh, how they were designed, I guess, is what I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah. That we do know more about. That we yeah. do. We have archaeoastronomy, you know, like 
archaeoastronomy is kind of like leveled that playing field for us we know like why how the giza plateau was planned out like why it was planned out you know in the way why the sphinx is where it's at uh why the pyramids are where they're at uh you know mm. we kind of have that we we kind of like there's some archaeoastrology that has that has that pretty much pretty much under wraps but how it was accomplished that's the part we have no idea you know i mean that's the, the grand pyramid is the craziest thing ever it's the craziest thing ever to think to like think about when you start look like looking into it like okay how big is it like how many blocks are in it uh you know like what where does it sit on earth like you start learning about it, you're like oh man like these guys they they knew some things you know <laughs> yeah. like they they understood some things about the world that we might not even understand today you know yeah yeah but the the egyptians that's a whole yeah there's a lot a lot going on there yeah Egyptians. yeah <laughs> So do you, let's kind of move on to, to you. Like, are you working? What what project are you working on now? Do you how? Or let, let me let me ask this. I guess how long does it take you to do a piece of art? Generally, uh, it depends on how big it is and how how like involved it is. I mean, some things are simple. Some things are just two colors. Some things are just black and white. Uh, but what I've been like, so I don't know, anywhere from a week to a month. Sometimes a couple of months. I've I've worked on the same piece for about three months before. I think it's the longest I've worked on one piece before I, I let it hang. Hmm. <laughs> but I'm working on pieces for uh, the Copper Phoenix right now. The Pearl in Ellensburg has a speakeasy section that's opening up uh, in the back. And uh, I'm painting seven, seven custom paintings for, uh, for that room that are uh, strong, strong, like, uh flapper flapper ladies from the 20s oh uh -huh. right it's a speakeasy called the copper phoenix so all the frames are like handmade copper uh and all the all the images are like super vintage uh 20s flapper style uh just cool ladies <laughs> super cool like super cool strong ladies uh from the 20s did you do that research or did um, the person? I've been doing it. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm working on my third one right now. So two of them are up back there and I'm working on my third one right now. Uh, that's what one of those back there is. Um, but yeah, so I just been digging in. I just been like on the internet digging about like just famous, not really famous people, but just people that kind of captured the mood of like the twenties and thirties really like life was rough in the twenties, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, when you look at, I'm mean, like, like looking at these images of, of like people and like, they have this like forlorn look on their face. Like they're just staring through the camera. Um, mm -hmm. They're not exactly smiling. They're not like super cheerful. They're just like, yeah, I'm here. You know, uh, there's something about that, that I liked, you know, like that. Cause there's pictures, there's images of ladies like dress up like they're from the twenties. And then you take pictures of them and like, they have this like smile about them. That's very modern where people are like happy. But then you look mm -hmm. at pictures of people from the twenties and they're not smiling the same way. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not, they're just not as happy. Mm. So working on seven pieces for back there right now. I'm like halfway through it. Do you going to do a Josephine Baker kind of a, a thing as well or not? Um, I don't know if we're going to like do anything that's, selective i have been finding people that are not famous 
that oh, I've been I see. Laying. Okay. Just you kind know, of like, that represent the the time and the image at the time. The time. They're just very character. They're very like oh, uh, cool. okay. time, like you know, like a period piece. They're very period. They're very like they just look like people from that era. Um, not necessarily that glamorous, but just with a look of like raw twenties, you know, like life is a little, we boil everything, like smoke buttless cigarettes, uh, you know, world war one's been not, you know, like, I don't know. It's just like, they have a different like take on life. It's like a lot harder back then. So their faces and expressions seem really real and forlorn. I don't know. It was just something about that that I liked a lot. I want to try to capture it. Yeah. That, uh, that, so you're looking specifically at the 1920s. Yeah, the 1920s and 30s, yeah, during the Prohibition era. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Speak easy. Okay, got it. Good. Is there a certain type of art that you like it, that you gravitate to more? Is it always the street art or do you, is it uh, a can of paint, a paint can, I guess, or spray paint? What, uh, is there one that you go, like, you're going to go do some art to you? What do you grab? Um... That's a good question. I guess it just kind of depends on what my environment is at home chilling. I've like, I draw with pencil a lot. Uh, when I'm hanging out with the lady and we're getting, we're getting together and making art, we use a lot of watercolors together. Hmm. Uh, and, but typically my go-to is a can of spray paint for sure. <laughs> That's always yeah. my go-to is I, I always, I mean, uh, yeah, the back of my Subaru, I don't know how probably about, 55 56 cans of paint in the back of my Subaru at any given time so uh I'm pretty much always ready to go wow you know this is this is what <laughs> <laughs> it's like the with the art in and that being an artist is it's really difficult to make a living at it but you have to have supplies yeah yeah that's all part of it yeah you have to budget that every time you make something or every time you sell something a portion of that money has to go back into your back into your material 100 percent. just surfaces i struggle for surfaces just things to paint on you know mm. i scavenge and you know goodwill and uh and anything every everywhere i can i scavenge canvases but i like to buy already made paintings already made things with frames and glass and everything and there's paint directly over the glass paint directly over the frames paint over everything you know it's just kind of in the in the spirit of street art and the spirit of like painting on things, right? Painting on walls and surfaces. I just do the same thing when I make all my portraits. Almost all the portraits that I sell to people are all painted on top of something else. <laughs> I, I have a friend of mine who uh, does who used to do art a lot, and he was being um, kind of his mentor is Dennis Evans, who's a fairly well known Northwest artist. And so he would paint over Dennis Evans' artwork. And Dennis Evans, you know, sells paintings for, you know, thousands of dollars. Yeah. So I, he gave me one of his paintings that he painted over Dennis Evans. That's awesome. And I just like, uh, do you know what you've done? He goes, oh, oh, yeah, I, I know what I did. <laughs> yeah, that's cool because then there's a story to it. And now you have that. Yeah. You have both of them, you know, like there's a, there's a history to that material that this actual piece of material has got a lot of history to it. That's really cool. I like that idea. Da Vinci used to do that. Da Vinci used to hide paintings inside of paintings and hide paintings in walls and do strange things like that. 
Yeah, you know that's and that's kind of cool when you think about that. Going back when they're when they kind of looking or repairing some of these older paintings by whoever, you know, some uh, like especially the uh, Middle Ages, where they they take certain scanners and they can see the depths of the paint. Like, okay, yeah. this was actually a painting that they kind of scrapped that and painted over it because you know, yep, as an 100%. artist, you. You, you okay that one's not working well i it's not really that good i don't really like it anyway i'm just going to paint over it yeah yeah they've done scans like that yeah i've seen like multiple layers i'm gonna black that again there I'm losing my thing oh you lose don't lose the thing i'm not gonna lose the thing yet uh we're gonna change location here for a second yeah no they um they they did exactly that. They found a, um, a, a, a Da Vinci cache uh, in some, I don't know, like they were like doing some kind of like remodeling somewhere and busted into a wall and found a Leonardo Da Vinci couple paintings and some stuff in there that some black Madonna stuff that would have been not so okay from the Pope, you know, like oh. the <laughs> religious authorities, you know, which were the law back then wouldn't have been cool with them making black Madonna paintings and stuff or whatever while he was also getting commissioned for the Sistine Chapel and doing a lot of his work for the for the churches and clergies, you know. That's how you got paid back in the day as an artist, man. You had to get in with the church. Yeah, or yeah, or a rich benefactor, but generally rich benefactors, yeah. Uh, so who do you have a rich benefactor? <laughs> <laughs> Several. Yeah. No, rich benefactor, man. Like, um, no, I don't have any rich benefactors. I, you know, <laughs> I just haven't been able to wrangle one of those up yet, I guess. <laughs> Damn it. We got to get right. you one, man. I'm always looking, though, if anybody's out there. All man. right. <laughs> I'm always looking Jason for a rich Clifton, man. Find him on Facebook or uh, Instagram or. Yep. Find me on Insta. <laughs> looking for a sugar something. <laughs> looking for a sugar someone. Yeah. <laughs> Not particular. <laughs> no, as long as the checks cash, it's all good. <laughs> oh man, uh, is there something that uh, do you have like a big goal or something in your mind that I really want to do this one thing that's been in my mind and I just can't do it or I haven't done it? Or Ellensburg has a water tower. Oh I yeah, I want to paint that water tower easily accessible too. Yeah, well, now it's got those big fences around it now. When I oh, first well, but here, I mean, you can you can just walk there. You don't have to go oh, up a big yeah, yeah. ladder or something. It's not like a, on on stilts like a lot of them or whatever they are. You know. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. I just want to paint a giant piece on that thing really bad. It's so big, man. It's like the biggest thing here to get on. It's the biggest why, thing to paint in Ellensburg. Why? Why? Uh, uh, yeah, I I I think we need to start a petition or something well yeah i just figured that i needed to like prove myself more i was like i'm it, where i'm at right now it's a pretty good start for kittitas county to like <laughs> give the go-ahead to something like that like on a grand scale like that to somebody like me dude i better i have to come up a little bit more <laughs> like, you know i bet you know, like, i bet if you did something with like um uh, because that's that's really close to the fairgrounds too right to the yeah uh, yeah it's, it, has, so it would have did, to be in conjunction with the um i don't know if the rodeo owns it or i mean i don't think well the yakima nation owns that ground right there that's their ground 
and the, uh-huh. the like the fair rents it from them. I don't think they even own it. The Yakima Nation owns that ground, so they might even own the ground the water towers on. I'm not sure. I'm mm. not sure how that works, but that all that whole area right there, yeah, that's that's native land. I think I I can I can kind of see a concept of putting together somehow hip hop cowboys and the Native American. If they let me do something that's that big, I would, man, I mean, I wouldn't do whatever, but I mean, I would want to do like a rodeo clown or something like a gigantic rodeo face, you know, a giant rodeo clown face on there or something like, just like, Ellsbury. I don't know, man. Like, it's just like the biggest thing. It's like, that's, that's wild style, man. Like that's doing it right there. Like, see that big thing up there. I'm on that. Like I, you know, like that's just kind of like, you always want to get up in graffiti. That's our thing is like getting up. Uh, or going all city in New York back in the day. Like if you rode on a train that went to all five boroughs and got seen by all five boroughs, you, that's like going all city. Everybody in New York saw that that's all city, you know? So like getting up and getting that fame is like a big part of graffiti, but that's the thing, man. I want to get on that water tower one. (laughs) Well, you know, if you believe it, yeah, I guess it starts right now. Just put it out there in the universe. That's right. right. Start, well, start you know, towards it. if you know that the one thing that I, that I think one of the greatest things that I, that that helped me was if there's a goal, something you want, write it down. Write it down. Oh yeah, I got lists and yeah, I write yeah, I write a lot of things down. Yeah, a friend of mine says I wouldn't be able to operate without doing that. Yeah, I get pieces of paper everywhere. It's crap. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, like this one here it just says inspiration Quite nice cool. yeah yeah inspiration welcome to the club man yeah totally i have just like little i well i have partial raps written down jotted down on on random scraps of paper all yeah. over the place so <laughs> picking up any any given one won't really make that much sense unless i'm like well okay i was thinking about this and i came up with that line because you'll get it later when i say it you know like but oh, yeah man. so there's all kinds of random stuff written around my house yeah it's good Along with stacks of books, I have books and papers and art and frames and things all over the place. I can't really trust a person unless they have random stacks of books around their house, ah. right? Because I'm, I'm old school. I still read. I still read a lot, like daily. I still read books every day. This is the one I'm on. Legacy. Can you read that? Oh, what? It says, uh, James Kerr Legacy, what the All Blacks, which is a, uh, a rugby team from uh, New Zealand, what the oh. All Blacks can teach us about the business of life. It's uh, 15 lessons in leadership. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. That's useful. Yeah. It's, my, it's kind of my thing uh, at, at the moment, but I, that's going to change. I'm going to read, uh, oh, uh, the, the White Fragility is my next. Uh, <laughs> Are you going to read that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been seeing that was a, they said today that that was on the uh, number three on the Amazon bestseller list right now. Like this last two weeks, like that book and uh, the new Jim Crow and, and one other one. Are the like three, Go ahead. No, there's the three top selling Amazon uh, uh, titles right now. I wouldn't doubt if one of those by Ta-Nehisi Coates as well. I, yeah, I wouldn't doubt it at all. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, yeah, the new Jim Crow. Uh, I read that a couple years ago, and uh, when I was doing the, I had a gallery show at the 420 Loft Gallery 
and uh, one of the I can't remember what her name was, but they were there was it was like during an election time, and somebody was running for uh, a judge. There was a couple of judges running, and uh, one of the ladies that was running for judge came to my show. We got into a conversation about race and issues and stuff, and I happened to have that book with me, and I gave her my copy of it. I was like, "You're about to be you're you're running for the judge right now, and you haven't read this book." Here, I happen to have a copy of it, and I put that in her hand and was like, you should read this book if you think that you want to become a judge, you know, like, uh, it, this is, we all kind of need to know this right now, this history or whatever, but I was really, really glad to be able to kind of like mm, have that and have that conversation and have that book. Um, it's a good read. It's a really good read. I haven't read White Fragility, though. Well, my wife has read it or is reading it, but um, and a really good friend of ours is also has read it. And uh, what he described it as you read a page of it. It's like a punch in the face. You got to put it down. You just kind of kind of think on that and let that yeah. settle and yeah. then read a little bit more, get socked in the head one more time. And then just kind of, and realize what is, uh, it helps you realize what's going on. Yeah. Um, I've learned a lot from every fight I've ever been in, man. Sometimes getting punched in the face is like the thing that wakes you up. Maybe we need the mental, the mental or the, the psychic, the psyche punch right now, you know, like the, the ego punch or whatever. Like I'm not opposed to that at all. I'll, I'll grab a copy of that too. Yeah. I, um, so yeah, I'm trying to uh, expand my mind because Something that I heard too that uh, really kind of blew me away. If we're still talking about race, this is this is a, there's a very interesting conversation we're having, Jason. By the way, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that is um, um, that most white people don't think of themselves as a race. Yeah, yeah. And I, and and I until I heard that, I don't think I did either. I knew I was part of the. I knew I was white, but I never really thought of the white race. Everybody the white else race. Like, yeah, yeah. I never. I don't even like that term because of what it implies. You know, like you think about like white pride and white power and the white race. All you immediately think of is like Nazi Aryan, you know, white pride stuff or whatever. Like that's that's immediately where my mind goes with it. So I've I've never really like wanted to identify as white necessarily, you know. Uh, And I but I never really actually thought about it either. I just know I didn't want to be that, you know but I never really considered it either like white race. I don't know if that it really is a race, you know, like I'm yeah. Croatian, you know, like I'm third generation Croatian. Uh, that's why my skin's white. <laughs> you know, if I was going to sub- celebrate like my, a pride of some kind, I would celebrate, you know, my Croatian heritage, you know, a nationality instead of a- I like a nationality kind of. Yeah. When I, yeah, I guess more so than just the fact that I'm white. Because that doesn't, I mean, in Europe, that wouldn't really mean anything because like, oh, you're white. Well, we all are. Where are you from? You know, like what, what white are you? Are you Polish? Are you German? Scottish? Are you Welsh? You know, like all these, you know, things like becomes the identifying factor and not just the white skin, you know? Wow. And here we are today, you know, with the. Yeah. um, Amazing. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, man. Like, I, well, I don't even know if interesting is the right word. It's just, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I just didn't, I, I mean, I, we all saw this coming kind of, you know, but like didn't because it's just it hasn't ever happened yet. 
and it didn't seem like it was ever going to happen. And now here it is. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm all for it, man. Like I'm all for the revolution. I'm all for massive things changing and taking a big, deep look at myself, even, you know, like, and my contribution to the whole thing uh, and what I'm, I can do to move, move forward, you know? I'm for a cultural revolution. I'll go with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, 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 yeah, a cultural and, and an attitudinal, a new understanding, you know, of like how we move on from here. Mm. You know, like it can't continue to be this way, obviously. It just can't. We're going to fly off the cliff soon, you know? Uh, so maybe this is the warning. Maybe these are the warnings before. I mean, like the metaphor, I guess, is that like America is kind of like a bullet train heading for a cliff. And if we don't like put the brakes on in some forms, you know, and like grasp some ideas that are real fundamental that we're going to fly off that thing, but mm -hmm. we don't have to, you know, like mm -hmm. maybe these are, maybe these are some of the red flag warning signs that are, Hey, the end is coming, dude, like deal with this stuff. Otherwise it's going to get worse. Uh, we could be in that room right now. And I like that. I mean, that's how I'm trying to see it, you know, like I'm just trying to help myself and change myself and be the best self that I can be and just listen and participate, you know, and just kind of keep moving forward. Cause I don't really know what's going to happen. We're in uncharted territory here, you know, just uh, trying to do your part to be cool. Just trying to do my part <laughs> to be cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, what did you have? What What else can we talk about? Is there anything else that you want to, is there something on your mind that you want to discuss that we didn't touch on? Oh, I don't know, man. I think we got there. Yeah. This was pretty good. I'm a, yeah, I don't know. I'm always good, man. I'm just always out here. <laughs> That's my catchphrase. I'm out here, man. Like I'm just continuously moving forward and uh yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to be happy, you know. I feel like right now it's kind of weird to even like I was talking to my girlfriend today and we were kind of like joking and I was like, "Oh, it's weird. Like is it okay to like be joking right now?" <laughs> you know, everything's so serious, you know? Like the, every, every it's so heavy. Uh so emotional and, and raw and painful. Uh, it, we still need to remember that we're at the end of the day, man, we're still people like laughter is like the best cure, you know, like love and laughter is like shit, dude. Like if you don't have anything else, you still have that at least, you know? So I don't know. It's been kind of weird. Like just wrestling with trying to be happy, you know, and, and, and not feeling guilty about it, you know? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that is or what, you know, like it's just kind of a weird time we're in. So it's kind of grappling with it. I think it's okay to be happy. I, it, I've got this saying, if, if, uh, um, find when you, when you have the happy, hang on to it, just try to hang on to the happy, whatever's going on, maintain the happiness. It's what else you got, man. People, I mean, people always say that they want happiness but they don't really seem to go out and try to be happy yeah, or yeah. try to even accept happiness. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, everybody's goddamn miserable, man. <laughs> and they're taking it out on each other right now. You know, yeah. it's a miserable state that like it's all been in. So yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm taking that to heart, man. Like I try and try to hold on to that happiness, man. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, cause yeah, at the end of the day, dude, like that's, that's all we really got is the ability to try to make ourselves happy and, and feel happiness and try to share it. 
tried, you know, stir up hard to be cool, man. You know, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, I really like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's one great thing about art is how, you know, it, it can move you and inspire you just um, by, by sitting there and, and uh, just being present with art. And it can really do that. Yeah. So thank you for, for putting, you know, your heart and soul and, uh, into art because, you know, it really, it really can help in, in, I don't know how or, but it really affects our culture. Um, everything that you see, you know, there is a thing that thinking about art, when I was in college, I went to Yakima Valley community college and a psychology professor said, asked us how important is art in general? And everybody was like, it thought it was very important. Art was very important. He said, okay, tell me where there's art on campus. And there was a, like a dead pause. And I was like, right away, I knew right away, like my favorite thing was somebody had carved a native American uh, face into a log and it was in the middle of like, uh, you know, the common area. Cool. I just, yeah, it was really cool. I, I would sit there and just look at that. And I'm like, man, this was hand carved. Somebody sat here and carved this thing and it's big, you know, it's like three or four feet tall. And yeah. yeah. And um, so that, that's it. It's like that, the, the, the art that's out there, I try to find inspiration in, or maybe not inspiration, but try to find um, something that kind of inspires me. I guess inspiration is the word kind of inspires me to, to uh, you know, find that happiness or follow the happy, and and it's it's tough. yeah. You were the person in the room that knew where there was art at because you have an eye for it. You saw it. It brings you joy. Yeah, you know, like it's and you notice it. Uh, yeah, it's just yeah, it's just the little bits out there, all over the place. that kind of just are little constant reminders. You know, like you're not alone. You know, there's somebody else out there thinking of like that enjoy themselves or like or it's okay to you know it's okay. Uh, you're not alone. That's what I like about graffiti is that like, it's all over the place. Every time you start feeling alone or whatever, you like look around, you're like, I'm not really alone, man. Like when I'm not <laughs> here, somebody else is right over there. Somebody else is right over there. You know, like I'm not alone, you know? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, Tom. I just don't know. <laughs> I'm 40. And when I thought I was, when I, when I thought when I was young and I thought about being 40, I thought about, uh, being a lot like wiser than I am. <laughs> like I thought oh, I would yeah. know more. Like adults seem like they knew more, or they were like, oh, maybe they're pretending better or something, you know. But like they seem like they knew more when I was younger, and I'm like here now at like forty, and I'm just like, wow, man. Like there's no frame of reference for this, man. Like there's no old school adage. That just, you know, you can say and be like, well, that's how, it, you know, you know how the good old people used to say, like, well, that's just, you know, uh, we don't have that anymore, you know, so I just feel like, I don't know, it's kind of different being here. I don't really know what to do or how to be, but I just try to just do the right, just feel like I'm doing the right thing, you know, like I want that feeling and be like, hey, pretty sure like right there I did the right thing. As long as I can keep that thing going on, I think I'm all right, you know, but I just don't, you know, decisions are hard right now. It's hard to have an opinion. I don't really know how to have an opinion about certain things until it all kind of plays out and we'll see what happens. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and uh, uh, 
Um, here's an opinion. We tend to be an opinionated culture in that when something happens, they, you're supposed to have an opinion or say something immediately. Like if it's on Twitter, so what's your comment? Do you have to have a comment? Why can't you just pause and, and let it like, you know, when do you let it play out? That's exactly what I did with that whole appropriation scenario. Like I, like I like watch what was happening there and like, I chose not to respond to it. I chose to like go to the mountains and have some mushrooms for a couple of days, spend some time, like not completely immersed in the overstimulation of like what or what not or what or what or what, and like took some time to reflect on it and then came back, you know, and like re-message those people like privately, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. not in an open source, like, so that everybody can clickbait it and like start like throwing their two cents in. Uh, I felt like I shouldn't be the focus at all right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no reason that anybody should be focused on me right now and anything that I'm doing with like what's going on. Graffiti writer in Ellensburg, black people dying by police violence. There's no, you know what I'm saying? Like there's no reason that anybody should be focusing on me right now. So I chose to just not even address it and really actually think about it for a couple of days and like put myself in an altered state and really think about it, you know, uh, and not be too upset about it. I'd be too angry. I tried to understand that like initially my ego was offended, but I needed to really like check and see like, wait, okay. Like that's my ego getting mad. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I'm not going to act on that. I got to take some time to think about it. Uh, and not really retaliate, but just respond, you know, and open up the dialogue, right? Because it's not going to be any, like, one-liner that's going to end it, and it's going to be this or that. It's an open dialogue from here on out, it's, you know, and, and, and an uncomfortable one. Okay. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> uh, that That's... um. Yeah, we've 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 covered quite a lot of ground. Yeah, when's I appreciate next, it, man. Yeah, it's really cool. Next, when's your next this is show? Like or... a dream come true, man. I thought like oh. a couple of years ago, it'd be really cool if I got to be on All Things Considered or get to be interviewed by Tom Cocaine. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, this yeah. Is, this is my own little private thing. This has nothing associated with Northwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but it's still you. Oh yeah. Well, thank it's, you. It's, it's actually kind? even better because we can yeah. actually have a real conversation. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. This is actually really cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that NPR doesn't censor that much, but I mean, it'd be definitely different. You know? Oh, they censor a lot. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they, they really do. They really do because, like, yeah, you well, know, if you're gonna like, if you have like a say a long conversation that you're gonna hear is gonna be what maybe tops fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they 15, may yeah. talk to somebody for what half an hour, forty five minutes, maybe. And so you got to cut out, they cut out a lot and you only get the, yeah. the, even those juice. like long Terry gross interviews and stuff where like Terry interviews people for like a long ass time. Yeah. So they, cut, there's, they trim those down a bunch too, right? Oh yeah. Everything gets trimmed. I mean, I like when this recording will get, uh, I'll, I'll listen to it and I may edit something out, but I don't think so. I mean, mm-hmm. I try to write down like there's, I wrote down, there's a little bit of a, like I have notes like at certain times where 
you say things and I'll take those out. Maybe I'll, I'll use them certain places. And there's mm-hmm. like somewhere where the, the audio went squiggly, but normally I just take them up whole cloth and put them. Yeah. On the and just post them like that. Yeah. Kind of. It's uh, this is uh, I kind of base this off of uh, two different podcasts that I like. One is a Joe Rogan experience. And I was just going to say, it's like being on Joe Rogan, man. This is awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. Cause I just kind of open dialogue and, um, Try, yes, open dialogue, and then the other one is uh, WTF with Mark Marin. They're both long form conversation, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I wanted. I want long form conversation that you know there's no there's no time frame. I don't have to have this. Doesn't we could be we could talk for you know five hours and that yeah would be fine, or you know maybe it only goes a half hour. Yeah, that's minutes. cool, man. That's what I like about Joe's too, man. Some of them are an hour, some of them are three hours. Yeah, you or know, four. I listen to a full three hour while I'm doing stuff at the house, like working on art. Just got Joe Rogan going, man. Like, and he talks like, yeah, it, that's, it's a good format to go after. He's the OG podcaster, man. You yeah. saw a Spotify deal, right? Oh, uh, yes. Incredible. He, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if I get it right, he basically made the jump going from uh, YouTube, right? To go to Spotify. Well, yeah, because right? he just posts everything on YouTube, you know? Yeah. And like, there's some commercials on some of his videos on YouTube. Um but yeah, he's going to be exclusively on Spotify now. Yeah, and 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 uh, yeah, it's just a licensing deal. It's a five-year licensing deal. Five years. Three hundred million dollars for a five-year licensing deal, and he'll probably—I mean, like all said and done—it'll be three hundred fifty million dollars probably five years from now. That's <laughs> wow. Five and then years he can do whatever time. he wants, and he still owns the whole thing, and he can do whatever, say whatever. No, no censoring, nothing. They just want him yeah. and they're willing they were finally willing to pay an artist what they're worth like i think that's one of the greatest like joe rogan's uh podcast is going to spotify is one of the greatest uh examples of a corporation or a big company paying an artist what they're worth they wanted joe rogan and joe didn't really need to do it and he was like well if you want me then pay me what i'm what you what what i'm worth to you and they did without a qualm they were like they wrote the check that is an accomplishment for somebody like it says a lot for joe rogan it says a lot for what he's accomplished in the last 10 years as a podcaster you know like uh you know he's got a really really great product it's the best uh and as an artist he's put his time into his craft and he's getting paid for it it's a great success story for spotify joe rogan the game you know like just everything like wow that's how it's supposed to go down man like and he's and he's, always, he's always drinking and smoking pot on his show and he was smoking weed with elon musk man i loved it i watched i've watched that episode a few times and that was great elon's been on there a few times actually since then he's been on it two more times since that first one we were smoking weed <laughs> but yeah he's always on there smoking weed man it's great it's great wow yeah well that's a. Uh... I would love to have that kind of success. Doubt I'll have that kind of success. Well, I mean, he's been at it since the get, you know, like yeah. he was one of the first people in the, in the podcasting game. I mean, he's got his own servers and everything now. And like, yeah, the whole deal, like it's pretty incredible, pretty incredible, but he's Jesus probably put in so much money in, into the, in his own infrastructure and making that thing work. And, you, you know, he, to talk more about the the inspiration of Joe Rogan and he what he called it he called it his fuck you money when he yeah yeah uh, when he did uh, um 
the, 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 where people had to eat crazy things. Fear Factor. When he did, when he was the host of Fear Factor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, he said he got enough to to have fuck you money, and that and he can do whatever he wants. So he, that's yeah. when he really put that's what he wanted to do. Podcast. Yeah, yeah. He was done fighting at that point. I mean, if he'd have been doing what he really wanted to do, he'd probably still be MMA. He'd probably be fighting. He's got that in him. He still trains and fights and everything. But I heard him talk about it, and he was like, at that point, I was like, I I am not competitive fighting anymore. I don't want to get hit in the face and the head anymore, man. It hurts. He's like. He still fights and works out and trains and does all that stuff. He's like, I'm over that, man. I'm on a podcast. I'm going to chill out, like, you know, do some other things. Keep the so, comedy yeah, rolling. Like, yeah, and he, yeah, he's hilarious too, man. And he's famous for uh, calling out Carlos Mencia on stage, right, for biting, yeah. for being a joke biter. Yeah, I've seen all those clips too. Those are great. Joe Rogan's actually a really rad dude all around, I guess, right? <laughs> A lot going on. If we're gonna emulate somebody, he might be a good. He might, be a good, <laughs> you know. Like, I like that guy. Right on. Okay, man. Well, let's let's call it good there. Thanks again, Jason. I really appreciate you uh, joining me for a yeah. conversation. A conversation. Yeah. Right on, man. That's a cool name. I like that. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, man. It's been really cool. Um, I'll uh, catch you on all things considered tomorrow. Okay, done deal. And uh, um, by the way, I don't know when this is going to go up. Um, oh, okay. But uh, hopefully, because I've won, I got to find where the audio went, and hopefully, it saved it someplace. So. <laughs> yeah, you'll dig. It'll be in there somewhere. Your computer, I'm sure, got it. Um, it's cool. If not, we'll do it again. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Talk with you, man. Right on. Okay. Thanks again, Jason. Yep. Right on, man. I'll see, see you later. You. Okay. Bye bye. And there you have it, Jason Clifton, today's conversation. Interesting fellow, wouldn't you say? Good guy. Thanks for listening today. Come on over to conversations.com to check out past podcasts as well. And I'll be back with you with another one here real soon. Thanks again for listening. That's all I've got. I'm Tom Cocaine. Be well. Over and out.